Good morning. This is Ayawimala. I, I I'm looking very crooked today. <laughs> I don't know if it's my vision or uh, my camera, my phone. So I'm Ayawimala, and today is Thursday, the fourth of March. And I think I think we're even feeling that spring is coming here in uh, Northern Illinois. So that's great. Friends in Florida are all planting their gardens and buying things, to, and people are planting and gardening more than ever, I think, but uh, I was a little, a little envious, not that I garden or go in, and have a place to plant outside, but uh, I was a little envious listening to them talk about how much they were gardening already. My goodness. But in, in August, I won't be envious of my friends in Florida. <laughs> so we let's take what we've got and just be grateful for everything we've got. I've been, uh, I was telling that group, I've really been, we are talking about things we've been watching and working on for ourselves and trying to be grateful with whatever the weather is where we are. It's all part of just accepting the reality of, uh, of nature, right? The, of, of the nature of reality. And the weather is certainly something we can't change unless we move. And then there'll be other uh, problems with that. But we can move and get away from it, but we can't, we can't really escape it when we're in it. So it's an inter it's interesting that we spend, that I spend so much time being aware of the weather. So, uh, it's good to have everybody here. And I wanted to read for, I don't, haven't read a lot, but I did read uh, last time from Sayadaw Utejaniya. Is the book Collecting Gold Dust. And it's one of his the small books. It's that's just really full of his um things taken from some of his talks at his center in Burma or things that he's written specifically for his books. But this one is the part I wanted to read is from his section on day to day. And that's really the most valuable information that we often need to to re just to remember and to keep alive is our is in our day-to-day -day lives and that's what we see changing so much as soon as we begin to uh, really really dive into some of the teachings of the buddha and understand that everything he talked about was to help people deal with suffering and deal with unhappiness and uh, not to give them a false sense of happiness, but to help them see the world without deluded vision, without uh, either just those uh, rose-colored glasses or maybe just black, no vision at all glasses, and to not see the world through through feelings of greed or aversion. So it's that middle path we can we can find the middle path that can work for i would think pretty much everyone and what it what it does is it, it's something that can really show up in our daily lives we can 
we can have a, a bigger vision of the of the world and our place in it, and just a, a really spacious, spacious vision. But we're also learning about achieving that by walking one step at a time every day and doing it in our daily lives. Uh, there aren't special initiations or there aren't special uh, places that you have to be with your practice before you can begin feeling uh, feeling happiness in your day-to-day life. Uh, not not uh, ha- eliminating all difficulties or all suffering, but we don't have to make them worse by the attitudes and the mind set that we have about them. So I love what he writes about very much uh, everything I see that Tejaniya writes about is is often about our day-to-day lives and putting the teachings of the Buddha right into our daily lives. And that's good for us and it's good for others as well. So this is, I'm just opening up to I'll keep finding great things in his day today, which is the last section of this book, almost the last. Relating to others wisely. Make sure I don't get a phone call. <laughs> we get into a lot of trouble when there is attachment. When you or the other person is clinging to each other or to the relationship, double trouble. For example, thinking that you will be okay only if your children are okay implies that the mind is reliant on somebody else for its mood, and that takes away the mind's freedom. This is a strong delusion. So in those categories, delusion is ignorance or not not seeing reality clearly or not wanting to see it clearly. And and I'm a mother of two adult children now, but I, I understand this one really well. This is a strong delusion. With attachment comes anger, anxiety, fear, and doubt. But if there's wisdom, there can be loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. When the mind doesn't believe that its suffering comes from other people, situation, or places, then it is free. And this is a hard one for parents. This is, this is hard, but think of a relationship with our children, or anyone for that matter, having a relationship with them that's there's loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Those are those four supreme emotional states, supreme blessings that we can have or ask for anyone else. An old couple was once asked how their relationship had had lasted 50 years. One of them replied that they made adjustments every time their communication broke down. It worked because that adjustment was not made with passion or defilement, but with wisdom. We become strangers to each other in a family if we don't talk to each other for long periods of time. It takes a lot of wisdom to know whether and when to speak. Consideration of time, place, and other factors are all a part of that moment. 
and situation before we can decide whether it is appropriate to say something. Sometimes it it may be necessary to use humor to ease a situation. Jokes and humor are very attractive to people. So love as much as you can, but do not get as attached. What emotions come up when you think about someone you love? If there is only love, there is only happiness. But love can get mixed up with a bit of attachment, and that's followed by fear. Loss is a natural part of life, so there will be loss eventually. We need to understand it instead of fearing it. Every day we are losing time, losing the object, losing awareness in every moment. That is, that's good. Speaking mindfully. We must be aware of ourselves every time we speak. Come to know the many steps the mind goes through to speak. If yogis make a habit of knowing themselves, then awareness when speaking will naturally become part of that habit. For some time, and remember, remember when he talks about yogis, he means people who are uh, meditation practitioners or students. For some time, I have had yogis not speak for two-thirds of a retreat, and then in the remaining one-third, I explain how to be mindful while speaking and get the yogis to try mindful speech for a few days. Ideally, yogis will have built up enough momentum and continue being mindful while speaking. But there is generally some inability or misunderstanding of how to remain aware when talking. And after a while, I notice yogis speaking without being mindful, and their momentum is gone. I now limit the practice to just one session to give just a taste of what it might be like to speak mindfully. I did not invent this idea of cultivating awareness while talking. It is nothing extraordinary. The Satipatthana Sutta, and that's the sutta that's on the four foundations of mindfulness. The Satipatthana Sutta prescribes, when silent, be silent with awareness and wisdom. When speaking, speak with awareness and wisdom. But few people practice that. It's difficult to practice being mindful when speaking and seeing. The reasons are that we don't practice being mindful when speaking, seeing, and looking, and we also don't have enough momentum in our awareness. The whole point of my retreats is that I'm teaching you a skill that you're supposed to bring into your life and use in your life so that mindfulness becomes a way of life. That's why I think it is useful to know and practice being mindful when you speak, especially when you are back home and at work. Awareness of speech is not a strange or wonderful thing, but something very simple. Be mindful when you speak. Some people ask, what should I be aware of? And I say, Know that you are speaking. 
Notice whatever part of the speaking experience is most obvious to you. On retreat, we practice observing body sensations and feelings and observing the mind. All these things are still present when we speak, and we want to know which of these catches our attention as we speak. The biggest trap when speaking is the strong desire to speak, wanting a lot to speak. A strong desire to speak is greed, and mindfulness then goes out the window. We can't practice awareness of speech alone. We have to speak to somebody. We have to pay attention to an outside object, not just our own mind and body. So we lose mindfulness because our attention goes fully outside, and then we are no longer attentive internally or to our speech. We start to think about the other person and look at the other person, and then all our attention and our awareness goes outward, and our attention is no longer also directed towards ourselves. On the other hand, practicing talking meditation too formally and only in, only in paying attention to oneself will make the conversation stiff and unnatural. A yogi said in a Finnish retreat, Finnish as in the country, Finland, a Finnish retreat, that while the retreat is quite good for mindfulness, there's a lot of stuff happening, and especially in speaking. When speaking with others, a yogi has to be responsive and quick, and it feels like they're doing two jobs at once. Yes, it will be this way. It's all about skill, and skill is is gained from continued practice We will be slow in any subject when we are not skillful as yet. As we do it over and over again, we gain momentum and the process becomes easier. While there may be a lot of personal effort in the beginning, it eventually begins to roll on its own momentum, like riding a bike. I liken it to martial arts. When at first you were practicing some simple moves and after a while, you don't know when, you can just use them automatically. In this same way, the mind may now be a little slow and deliberate when it begins its practice, but as you keep doing it, you will find it slowly becoming automatic. You could try practicing in this way. Know what you want to say. Think about what you want to say before you say it. When you acknowledge to yourself first to what you feel and think before you speak, you are giving yourself time to know yourself before you speak. Try this over and over again. You can be aware of your experience as you are listening to the other person and recognize that you are listening You're listening and knowing and are aware that you are listening. And they are listening. And then you are aware aware that the act of listening is happening, that speech is happening. You might have to practice this quite actively. It will be difficult at first, but only because you haven't had enough practice. Every new thing you learn is difficult when it's new, because you don't have enough practice. 
when your overall mindfulness becomes more natural and continuous and has some momentum through practice, and you know the mind and recognize it at work, it becomes easier to notice when you are talking. You will notice when the mind is thinking, when it is listening, when it is hearing, looking, and so on. You will need to accept that at first you will lose mindfulness quite a lot. Just don't give up. Before I learned how to practice in social situations, I would spend as much time as I could by myself and did concentration practice. The mental stability was there, but I couldn't find peace because I was resistant to social situations. I wasn't skillful, but tried over and over again. As I learned to practice with people around, slowly over a long time, the mind's habit changed. My awareness increased and slowly became automatic. When I saw that my resistance was because of conditioning, I actively set out to practice in social situations to overcome the resistance. Let's, I'd like to read just a little bit more to get his experience. At one point, I decided to practice right speech, meaning no lying, no harsh speech, no slander, and no idle talk. Taking on this task really helped me in talking meditation because I had to check if I was doing any of the four wrong speeches. It reduced the amount of talking tremendously, and my practice just shot up because we speak so often and I had to be so mindful all the time. I don't remember how long I practiced actively like this, but after some time of practicing, I could maintain my peacefulness while I was with others. After I was more settled, I actively increased the practice and sought out places that disturbed me because I knew that's where my weakness was. I would go to those places and keep trying there. Sometimes I would walk into a bar and meditate. <laughs> I don't know if that's a very, I don't know if that suggestion is the best one. Uh, but Let's, I wanted to know how much this affected my mind, and I became really interested. Everyone around me was drunk and talking loudly, but I was very peaceful. This is how I developed confidence in my practice. It's good to know as information that it is possible to be mindful when you speak. So we need to at least know that if we don't believe that. Know from someone with experience that you can be mindful when you speak. Then you are willing to try and put this aspect of mindfulness practice into your daily life to challenge yourself to use this as part of your practice. It's very easy for defilements to come into our speech when we speak about ourselves, when the I becomes involved. At home, we usually speak without mindfulness, and it is this habit, rather than mindfulness, that tends to come in when we speak. When we are speaking, there are three things we can be mindful of. Our mind, our speech, and our body. If we know our mind, then we, can, we should definitely be able 
to filter that into knowing our speech and our body as well. Well, that's excellent. Um, and I love when he talks about, he calls it talking meditation. I think that's a great thing to remember. Next time you get into a conversation with one, someone, think of that as uh, your practice in talking meditation. So he, he defined what he meant as uh, right speech before he started mindful uh, speaking, his, his speaking meditation. He decided to practice right speech, meaning no lying, no harsh speech, no slander, and no idle talk. So you can take those four. You can start with no lying. But no lying, no harsh speech, no slander, and no idle talk. That's basically when we talk about the, the uh, eight precepts. We've just added more. We've added slanderous talk and idle talk and harsh talk to no lying. So that if you cut those, if we cut those out of our regular speech, uh, then we, we talk less. So we're listening more, which is wonderful. And we're, we're not creating harm for anyone. So we're being extra careful that what we're saying is not creating harm, which is the purpose of the precepts. So he takes it on seriously, and that is his talking meditation. I really love that. That's a good way to look at it. So then he continues talking about seeing and looking, how they're not the same thing. So there's, there's quite a bit in just those few pages I read. So, and I think I've take I've used most of our time. So, why don't we just sit for we can sit for five minutes, and just allow some of this. Let's just use it as a quiet time before we have to to uh, end. You can continue, but let's sit in that posture, our meditation posture that works, that makes us feel at ease, feel supported feel grounded and by feeling grounded I mean we are all in this in the body we're not letting our mind be uh, somewhere else and we're bringing we're not trying to project something out into the world mentally this is this is looking at ourselves and feeling that we are here on the earth and this body this body is what we want to look at. This body, and then our sense doors, our mind, and everything else coming into this body uh, that affects what we're thinking, how we're feeling. It's very important. And in our speaking meditation, it's extremely important. So we can just be quiet and just feel that grounded, centered body. And we just allow the feeling of our breath, the sensations of breathing, 
we use that as an anchor. As we begin to recognize the mind taking over and causing us, causing us to become distracted, we begin to know that we can, we can interrupt that pattern and come back to our breath. We're not forcing ourselves to uh, get rid of all of our thoughts. That's not how the mind works. We learn to very patiently be able to let thoughts come and go on their own. We don't need to feed all of our thoughts with our attention. So for this short practice, you can just think about your speech. Think about how you can begin to develop more mindfulness with your speech. And when we say right speech, we're talking about the appropriate speech. And for the Buddha, appropriate speech was speech that is harmless. Uh, not sugar-coated. Right speech is also honest. But we're not using speech to harm ourselves or anyone else. So we don't lie. We don't use our speech to manipulate or to cover up or to intimidate. learning to be with ourselves and to develop focus, develop that samadhi, which is the deeper, deeper ways of going within. Just, we go into that silence with ourselves and we just stay with it. It becomes deeper the more we practice, the more we can just be with that tranquility and calmness And we naturally go into that, the deepness of meditating.
So keep sitting if you have time, and I will see you again tomorrow. But uh, try speaking meditation today. Just be aware of your mind and your body and your speech. So thank you very much for being here and for sharing my practice. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.